You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime. Anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Take one. Knock, knock. Who does? Receiving a Dana, and we can't believe you found a fucking podcast. A podcast. We're so glad you're listening to it. We would never listen to it. I don't even want to listen to it to edit it. I don't even want to wake up in the Stephen and Dana, and we're in the room. That's excellent news. Thank you. <laughs> bye bye. Burning sensation just confirmed. <laughs> me 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 me. Take a note. Me 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 me. Hi. Are you talking to me? Yeah. What's up, Stephen? We are recording this little intro after our interview. So here we are. It's Sunday morning. You know us. why? Because our interview that's coming up with um, the precious Dick Scanlon and the luscious Carmel Dean, we had about like an hour time. So we, it's a little less than what we usually. Our time. <laughs> breathe it in. It's a, it's a little less than what we usually allow for. Um, and we wanted to suck up every last minute with them, and you will understand why, because... Yeah, and we were at the theater, and they had a show, and yeah. it's just how the cookie fucking crumbled. Yeah, and they are... They're geniuses, so we didn't want to waste our time doing this bullshit chatter up Yeah, now. they don't need to know that they I had a cold and have been working myself silly. But you know who are the lucky few that do need to know? You guys. The In The Rumors. Mm-hmm. So welcome. Thank you for joining us. Hi, guys. Um, we do have a little bit of catch-up. So last episode, when last we spoke, it was with Susie Mosher. And after that, I went to her birthday show at Birdland Theater, mm-hmm. which is underneath the Birdland Jazz Club. And her birthday show was off the chain, honeys. It was raucous. Oh, I'm bummed I couldn't It was be there. raucous. Alice Ripley, there was a lot of, here's the thing, it's a lot of musical improv and you get to see genius at work. And Brad mm. Simmons is so great following them on the piano, just wherever their brain tends to go. That's great. Susie's the greatest host of all time. Dan Finnerty is an insane person. Um, he's, his wife is Kathy and Jimmy, so that tells you all you need to know. Um, yeah, Alice Ripley was off her rocker. She just went on. I think there was about a 20-minute musical improv between Susie Mosher and Alice Ripley, who are old friends, and so you have that like chemistry sure. that was just so 
funny and intimate and talking about Susie's phantom dick. It was really quite stunning. Um, and then, like, whoever the American Idol winner was this year, she just happened to show up. But... <laughs> Susie, I guess, is friends of the musical director of American Idol. So, like, Diana DeGarmo was there in the audience and, like, would not come up on stage. But there was American Idol, like, flavor in that room. It was, oh, Maddie Pope? Pop? Poppy? Maddie Pop? That's her name. And she was so good. She sang Bare Necessities in, like, a jazz version. So good. Um, Alicia Umphress blew our faces. Amber Iman. Per usual. Amber Iman, who um, was in Soul Doctor. However, she played Nina Simone, and she did this song at Susie's birthday party, acapella, with just her rhythm of her body. She's like, I usually do this with drums, but um, I'm black, so I have rhythm, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so she just used, like, the floor and, like, singing. It was amazing. Uh She's Amazing. so good. I saw her in Shuffle along. Do you know? Yes. She's unreal. Did I? She's unreal. Um, um, yeah. You you mentioned American Idol. I did. Which reminded me that Clay Aiken and Ruben Studdard have a holiday show coming to Broadway this year. Are you so excited? Like Brian DeCalway is? Kind of. <laughs> Kind of, because Clay Aiken, that was what, season maybe three of American Idol? Two or three? Yeah, it was when I was still watching it. Which was we were still time. very into it. And yeah. my cousins and the family, like every, what was it, Wednesday and Thursday? Wednesday was performance and vote, Thursday yeah. was results. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were on the landline calling in for Clay Aiken every yeah. week. Yeah. And then he didn't win. And then Ruben Stuttered won. Haven't heard from him since. You keep calling. And now they're doing a fucking holiday show together. Did you see their scarves? No. That photo shoot? I didn't see the photo shoot. I don't know. I'll find Just it the later. press release shows them both with their faces and like chunky winter scarves. Oh, I know exactly what that show is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you guys. Anyway, the band Betty was there. They did acapella as well. I'm forgetting a whole bunch of folks. Tally Sessions and someone else. Jeff Creedy? Yes, thank you. You're welcome. They did like a bro number. They have a show that they do, or that they recently did at 54 Below, and I can't for the life of me remember the name of it, but their advertising is so funny because they will take classic movie posters of romantic comedies and... They will somehow Photoshop their faces on or recreate the pose, but like they're two bros. Yep. Yep. In That's the Titanic their brand. poster. And they're like, come see us. It's so funny. And Jeff is married to Nikki Renee Daniels, who just finished her run in Book of Mormon, um, but who I've known for years. Okay. And she is the. They have the cutest kids, and they're both like so musical. And they're, I just, every video of her child singing makes me so happy. Baby Lena. Look at all these Easter eggs for you guys. I would love to have them on. Oh, and Clea Blackhurst opened. She's a nut job in the best way possible. She had a tiny trumpet. 
Um, like Mazeppa? And yodeled. It really set the tone for What's the yodeling got to do with it? <laughs> What's yodeling got to do with it? Um, so anyway, Susie Mosher's great and listen to her episode. It was before this one. Um, and go to her show at the lineup. It's every other Tuesday at Birdland Theater. You are in for something very special. Guaranteed. Every other Tuesday. Guaranteed. Not unlike us. Yeah, not unlike us. And I think it's even lining up. So if, if you're listening to an episode <laughs> of this. We're on the same schedule, if you know what I mean. Heavy, heavy <laughs> We're all flow. synced up. We're all synced up. Speaking of the sink, what's a kitchen sink topic we want to talk about before we dive in? Dana did not know how to make whipped cream. No, I didn't. I learned her. You know, the thing about sweets is I don't need to know how to make those things. Mm. Or else I will. Got it. It's a dangerous thing to learn. Just be oh, I just need three ingredients at midnight? Great. Into Sold. it. Sold. Sold. One dish. My brain. Yeah, oh, family visit. We had our family's visit. Right, that was between apps. That feels like it was actually a month ago. That, <laughs> Don't even remember it happened. You go first. Our, our mommies met. Yeah. My mommy came to town. Your, a third of your family came to town. My aunt and uncle, my mom and dad. We had a kiki for four days straight. Same. Same. Ooh, it's it was a so lot. fun. We all went to brunch. We did our bottomless mimos. Mm-hmm. Slash bloody, slash whatever. Um... So yum. Thank you for making that reservation. You're welcome. Continue. That's all you did? Oh, I mean, mom came to town. We had wonderful meals. We cooked for her. She met John. We mm-hmm. um, we saw Once on this Island. She met John Denver for the first time. She met John Denver. How'd that go? It was great. It was great. Mm. I mean, he's easy. She's easy. So they're easy together. All right. Um, no, we saw Once on this Island and Bands Visit, both of which were... What you should be seeing on Broadway at this moment in time. Beyond. And you took your family to Once on this Island as well. I did, immediately after our brunch. Mm -hmm. Pharisee Craig brunch. Do they love it as much as we did? They loved it. If you love Once on this Island (laughs) as much as I do. Fruit pine. Fruit pine. Uh, Yeah, I, I mean, it's an exhausting trip because my, my family is so game for anything it's, they don't even have, like, food hang-ups. They want to do everyone, everything. They want to see everything. And so I just wanted to, like, curate an experience that was, like, cultural, something out of their comfort zone, see my people, see new people, um, do New Yorky things, hang out. And it was really fun and a lot of... Because um, it was Aunt Julie's first trip to New York. Aunt Julie's first trip. And kind of Uncle Dale's too. Like, I don't know if he's done any, like... like his first leisure trip. Leisure trip. He's done some business. But, you know, we went... I took them to Flaming Saddles. Very I, fun. Very fun. Took my mom to Tacuba. So, so many fireball shots. Oy. Um. What else did we do? I mean, that's the standout for me drinking we did um we i took him to a ucb show there's a new ucb theater in hell's kitchen so that was cute did a little improv moment there um you did improv no 
No, I went to a show at UCB. But then I, I thought maybe you were um, we did an, an audience imp- participation. No, 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 no. No. You had to exercise. I am so the bad improv. at improv if this is any indication. But same. Um, what else did I mean? We did, we went to karaoke. We saw Once on this Island. We saw the play that goes wrong. Um, I love the play that goes wrong. It's I saw so it fun. in. Um, it's so fun. I think I don't know if I went to a preview or if I went to the invited dress. I think I went to the dress. Wow, it's been running for a very long time. Still. Yeah. What were you seventeen? <laughs> and though I was twenty two. You guys also what we did we went to the Pumpkin Blaze, which is up in Croton on Hudson. You take the Metro North to get there from the city, and it's Croton. Croton on Hudson. Like a it's, Caesar salad, extra crotons? It's by um, Sleepy Hollow, that whole lore up there. It's millions of pumpkin jack-o'-lanterns that are ablaze in different various forms. It is gorgeous. So fun. And um, Did you make it haunted? I did not. I think Aunt Julie took pictures of every freaking pumpkin that was there, though. Did you just get up? Yeah. Are you walking around? Yeah, I have an Great. itchy ankle, and I have something for that, so I'm going to take care of it right here. Great. Is this the white one? Yeah. Um, my cousin Lori texted me maybe the day before my mom showed up and said, hey, I'm going to be in town. Do you want to have dinner on Sunday? And I said, funny you should ask. My mother will be in town. Come over when you la- after you land. And we'll surprise her. So we did. That doesn't happen very often. No, it was crazy. Um, and while I am maybe not one for surprises, there are some surprises that you just know will not go wrong. And surprising my mother with cousin Lori is sure. one of those. There was sure. no risk involved. Um, and it was perfect because cousin Lori rang the doorbell while my mom was in the bathroom. So she came in the house and then was able to kind of hide. And my mom was like, who's at the door? I'm like, it's Kevin. And then You Lori, little sneak. Then Lori popped out and my mom was so happy. And we made dinner. Uh, we, made, we did indoor barbecue. Tell me about we it. We used all the appliances. There was, a, there was an air fryer. There was an instant pot. Mm-hmm. And we made ribs. That's delicious. Yeah, we had a lot of good food, too. I took them out for Greek food in Astoria. So good. I forgot I had a face mask on. I forgot last night that I had a face mask on. I'm very green right now. Oh, you guys, the Queen Helene face mask. If you put it on and you chop an onion, you will not get onion eyes. This just in. I tried it yesterday as well. The chemicals from the face mask. I believe that. Mixed with the onion just kind of naturalizes everything. I believe it. So. Good job. Life hack. Alert. Yeah, maybe if you don't have to do a face mask, but you have to cut onions, you can just put some on your nose so that you smell it. Yeah, do a little. Just a little dollop. Dollop a daisy. What else is coming up? I mean, Happy we... Halloween. What are Halloween! you? Are you dressing up for Halloween? Hell no! Neither. I can't find my usual uh, Halloween get up. That I've been wearing annually. I'm a huge Halloween fan. I've been dressing up 
ever since, I, I didn't dress up last year, I don't think. But it's because one of my best friends, her birthday is on Halloween and she doesn't live here anymore. And so there's no reason for me to get dressed up. She went all out. So now it's just Happy kind of birthday, like... Happy birthday, Allie Gilbertson. I'm looking at everyone else's Instagram. Y'all look fantastic. Um, I think I'm working two jobs on Halloween. Ugh. 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 Uh, do we you, did do... win Hocus Pocus trivia again this year. <laughs> Get into it. Yeah, thank you so much. So this episode is Carmel Dean and Dick Scanlon. Carmel wrote the music to Renaissance. 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 Uh, with the lyrics by jazz poet, huge, iconic, iconic poet, uh, Edna St. Vincent Millay. And she worked with her... I would say mentor and partner, Dick Scanlon, yeah. who directed it and um, the they work together on Everyday Rapture as well. Um, Carmel, I believe, was music director for that. Um, yeah, they've been each other a long time. But they have a great working relationship as well as personal, um, and you can really see it in this work. And Stephen and I saw it. It's downtown at the Abrams Art Center, yeah. Lower East Side. It's a really cool space. Take and that D train, honey. It's it's only running until November seventeenth. Yes, yeah, so you have a couple weeks. Yeah, it is a much We're talked giving about. Giving you ample time. Much talked about and a theater experience. It's not just tickets are available on today ticks. Yes, they um, are. At least that's how we got ours. So I don't. Yeah. I I imagine it's still on there. Um, yeah. Highly recommend it. I really really do. If you're frustrated in any way with, um, you know, what the American theater is today. Go see this and you'll be reminded why we gotta, we gotta ride this wave out. Yeah, it'll recharge your battery for sure. Um, and Carmel is a, an old friend of mine. I've known her since 2008, I believe, when I first moved here. Um, so it was very special for me to interview her and I'm so excited for you guys to listen. If you were looking for a reason to listen to this episode, do it for the B. Arthur story. Without further ado, Carmel Dean and Dick Scanlon. Yeah. I did. What did you just say, Dick Scanlon? I worked with B. Arthur. Dick Scanlon could fill many uh -huh. hours of your podcast. Oh, no question. Stories. This is just part one. This is part one. Yeah. Welcome. Carmel Dean and Dick Scanlon. Woo! Yay, everybody. I can hear. I can't even believe, I mean, this day has been on the Google document for a very long time. Sure. <laughs> From day one. I, it's a pleasure. I don't know how to use the Google document, but it's been there. <laughs> it has. It has. Um, so thank you. You guys opened a gorgeous show last night. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Yes, we did. And, and we can actually say it's gorgeous because we saw it last weekend. We did. It's fresh in our brains. And, I even um, brought a playbill. Oh, you got a playbill. To bill. reference. That's great. <laughs> Um, so, Carmel Dean, hello, dear Hi, one. <laughs> You're on my podcast. Okay, Yay, so we're Carly. upstairs. Where are we? We're in the room with Carmel and Dick. We're so in the upper lobby. In the, in the lobby Center, with yes. Carmel and Dick. Yes, yes. With the yes. streets of the you Lower the East Side. the second Australian on our podcast. Who was the first? My friend Tyson Armstrong. Do you know him? I don't. We could be related. He's but a piano player. He plays piano. He makes the Broadway pins. Mm -hmm. I don't know the Broadway pins. They're, he makes these $10 lapel pins of 
Broadwaypins.com. Broadway I'm wearing Elaine's stretch right now. That's oh amazing. <laughs> wow. Is she a good luck charm or? I don't know. I think she was already pinned to the overalls when I put them on this morning. So It's certainly a conversation oh, starter. Oh, actually, they're kind of fantastic. That is kind great. of what she looked like. You need like. to put me in touch with you. That's amazing. For, there's a Bette Midler. There's um, Bernadette. Audra. Sondheim. Cool. And there, Son- the Sondheim has his. He's received it. Wow. Uh-huh. Can we make a Dick Scanlon again? I don't know. One hundred percent. Yeah. So there'd be You're one. Very You're very pinnable. You're pinnable. You're very pinnable. You're very pinnable. All right. It's the hair. Like the hair gives a, is a good silhouette. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm, I'm going for seventies hair. You know, I'm going to wear 70s, 70s hair until I'm, a, I'm in my 70s, yeah. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Hey. Well, yeah, we're upstairs at the Abrams, Abrams Arts Center. Art Center. Which is about as side. far east as you can go. That's yeah. right, without falling into the river. Yeah, without getting wet. There's pickles down here. There's donuts. There's donuts. fresh coffee. Really good bagels and bialis. Great clothes stores like yeah. For, yeah. for men who are fashion forward, which I, you don't know it today, but I am. And there's some fantastic Very much. shops. I believe it. Love synagogue. Chinese There's a couple food. of shuls. Yeah. yeah. A TD bank. That's right. I mean, and something for TD bank. There's a Target. No, There's a Target there is, and yeah. a Trader Joe's. The Trader Joe's opened on Friday, which was also the anniversary of Malay's death. Yeah. It was a big day down there. We think, we think it's connected. <laughs> um, Malay being Edna St. Vincent Malay. Right. Which... The, okay, wait. Okay, Renaissance. Let's get that out of the way. Yes. Renaissance. Renaissance. Or Renaissance. It Liaisons. is. Look, I think in my heart, I'll always think of it as Renaissance. For a long time, we pronounced it Renaissance, knowing we were doing so incorrectly, because we just thought, how could we have a play called Renaissance? But then we, uh, in sort of going to production, Holly Pepe, who's the head of the Malay Society, um, argued vigorously that for people who know the poem, and there are really people who know the poem because it's rather famous, it would just be very peculiar. Um, to, it would be like, you know, Sunday in the Park with Paul. You know, people would be Jorge. like, hey, exactly, exactly. Georges. That's exactly, right. people would be like, that's not what it's called. Yeah. So um, we figured out a writing way to deal with it, and uh, now it is. It yeah, is, you make it very clear in the show. Yes, yeah. and that is actually what happened. She did actually initially title the poem Renaissance, and then spell the traditional yes, like Renaissance Diner. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's right. R-I-P. The French spelling, which and, and pronounce the way you pronounce it. And then her editor that, that bought the poem or chose it for this contest she entered in this book it was going to publish in, he retitled it Renaissance. Um, we don't really know why. There's no correspondence as to why, but he's the one who did it. No emails about it? No, no, I, no, no. I mean, it's a great drag name if you think about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Renaissance. Renaissance. That's how I can remember it. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what we should all do for Halloween next week. Renaissance. Welcome to the Renaissance stage. Renaissance well. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, so it's gorgeous. It's so beautiful. Thank As an you. actor, I sit there and I'm like, oh, this is the stuff I want to be doing. This is the stuff that you get to like be lucky enough to do yeah. between the stuff you have to do. Thank you. Ooh. Thank you. That's a great way of putting it, actually. <laughs> That's amazing. Um... Brought to you by the Tylenol cold medicine. Yeah, Stephen is currently. Oh, you are a little. Sick a little I'm a little here. Foggy I'm, I'm there. in the mask. Yeah. Um, you have had this in the works for a while, right? <laughs> it has started in many forms. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't in the works as this theater piece um, until I convinced Dick to listen to my CD of Malay demos, mm-hmm. grabbed it by the collar. Listen to me. Over one of our schnippers meals that used to be a thing <laughs> with us, um, 
I, I begged him to listen to this demo CD, because that was back in the day where we had demo CDs, and I had a handful of these poems that I'd set to music, and I wondered if there was anything more to them. But I think even before that, I also just wanted to share my music with you, and you'd been such a lovely collaborator and mentor and friend and had expressed interest in... We had done Everyday Rapture together right, off-Broadway, yes. right, Carmen yes. the music director. So we, it was just part of our bonding. I decided to give you some, some of my music, and you graciously accepted and listened. What initially drew you to her poetry? Well, the first poem that I said of hers was an assignment. It was actually part of the application to get into the NYU Graduate Music Theater Writing Program. I think to this yes. day, they still ask people to set the poem, Time Does Not Bring Relief, which means there are probably <laughs> 1,250 yeah. versions of that song floating around New York City and wherever else the, sure. these composers have ended up landing. Sure. Um, and then I, I, I loved setting that particular poem. I, I found that her words spoke to me and were able to evoke something musically I didn't know I had. And so I had a volume of her poems, and I, every time I wanted to write a song, I would find something that spoke to me. And I just, one by one, started a little arsenal of Malay art songs. What if you treat up something that you're genuinely drawn to, yeah. that as you're a student and beyond, you're just like, I want to write something, but I don't have to write anything, and just go over to the shelf, have part of it done, Correct. I mean, it's a yeah. true passion project. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's a different puzzle. A lot puzzle. of writing is. Yeah. But yeah, it's a puzzle and it was therapeutic. And I wasn't writing my own lyrics at the time and yeah. I didn't have a regular collaborator. So this was a perfect opportunity for me to keep writing. Did you ever, was there an end goal? Or did you just do it? I mean, I think in the beginning I just did it um, because I was. I was pretty dead set on music directing, and sort of the, my end goal was you know, to support myself, as that is many people. Um, and music directing was providing that for me. So, the with the writing of the Malay songs, I guess maybe deep down I wanted them to be something, but I, it wasn't a conscious thing until I met my friend Dan. And bringing you into the passion project, how how does one enter that? Well, uh, kicking and screaming a little bit. <laughs> because, uh, and, and one thing, just to sort of note, it's interesting that what Carmel is saying because actually, in, in the like the early days of musical theater, the way most, pretty much all great lyricists began um, is often they would begin by writing new lyrics to existing songs, parody lyrics. They would do college shows. So having a controlled variable mm -hmm. is actually very helpful to a, to a young songwriter. I mean, honestly, it's helpful to an old songwriter, but it's very, very helpful because that's done and you can just be figuring, you can just be doing you. Yeah. You don't have to be figuring out how someone else is doing, you know, him or her. Um, when Carmel first mentioned the poems to me, I actually, I think you brought it up, but I, I just, I was like, great, and I, I did it pretty quickly. Um, because I actually knew a little bit about Malay, interestingly, because she'd come up a lot when I was researching Thoroughly Modern Millie. Because even though you know, Malay is actually, pre, predates the Jazz Age, she becomes a star right in 1912, um, she's often considered a Jazz Age poet because her sexual mores and her, her relationship to being a woman 
is very 1920s, and she was certainly a, a role model for young women then. And if you know Thoroughly Modern Millie, it begins with the image of Millie alone at the train station having just arrived with her suitcase, and she has this ticket in her hand. And that actually was inspired by Millie's letter to her mother and sisters when she arrived at Grand Central Station in 1912. I remember saying to Michael Mayer and Jennifer <coughs> Story, like this letter, what if it's just she's alone, and there she is, and is she going to stay? And um, so she, she actually not only had come up, she actually is in the shithood a little bit. So I had a little sense of who she was. Um, but I, you know, typically poetry set to music is, is my very low on my list of things I want to listen to <laughs> because most poetry can, is the poet has written the music and the meter of the poem itself. It doesn't really, it doesn't need music. If it did, it would have been written as a lyric. Too much sugar. Yeah, a hat on a hat. Exactly right. And so I... I was concerned that that would be the case. And then I think I, whatever someone you really adore, and I adored Carmel, and so we respect her as a music director, is going to show you another thing they do. You have the concern that they're not going to be good at that other thing, you know, and then you're going to be in a situation of how do you respond to that. So when I heard the, the uh, work, I was astonished, number one, at how well Malay lends herself to being musicalized. I've since discovered that that, that, that's, that, that was a secret to nobody but me. Everyone else seemed to know that Malay was fundamentally a lyric poet and wrote almost in lyric form. Um, I was late to that party. And, um, but the other thing that I was astonished by was Carmel's uh, writing. I was like, oh my God, she's actually a real composer, a real composer. And I was like, whoa. So I was just delighted. I was so thrilled to be able to call you, or I don't know if we were at work, and I, would t I don't recall when it was, whether it was during our production process and really legitimately fell. Um, but certainly at that time I had no thought of being involved in turning it into something larger. That came a bit later. But I was very, very thrilled. So sweet. Mm -hmm. Such a generous man for pressing play on the CD player. <laughs> <laughs> and so I would imagine that it's very hard to turn it into something and make it cohesive and yeah. make sense and interesting and so the next step was me getting, uh, being asked to be a part of the York Theatre's NEO program, which is New Emerging Outstanding Artists. Oh, that's well, you. That was me. Hello, in gorgeous. Hello. A few years ago. Um, and so they offered a 39-hour reading of whatever I had that wanted some development. Um, and the one thing I had was this collection of Malay songs. So I called Dick. He said, hey, Dick, you want to direct this thing? And he's like, what thing? I said, you know, the Malay show. There's no show there. <laughs> what show? Dick's running down the side. Yeah. 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 Um, so we kind of went into this frenzy, like sitting in the, the, on the little bench outside of the rehearsal room. We would write as they were learning music. They were learning songs. Yeah. And, and, I, and I actually, the month before, I had, I had taken the, the, you know, since I've read many books on Malay, but the main one, Savage Beauty, I'd taken it with me to Africa. I have an arts program there. And I, I sometimes will take a few days after my work there is done and travel. And I was in Botswana in a tent the night that I started the book and thought, okay, this reading was already scheduled and, and I don't know that it was cast yet, but we were well on our no, way. There was no yet. story. There was just some songs. songs. Yeah. So opening that book and being like, you know, failure is always an option. You, I always try to say it's okay to, it's all right if you read this book and you get no ideas. 
just be present to what the book is and it can go anywhere you want it to go and that includes nowhere you know and uh, so I just sort of read it that way in Botswana I'd wake up early in the morning go on a game drive and then come back and read about Malay and by the time I was you know coming flying back to New York I basically finished the book and there were there were sort of two things that interested me and the one the first was this event this contest that something that doesn't go well um, that ends up being the thing that actually makes her a star. It's the, the idea that the, when, sometimes when your dreams don't come true, they're actually coming true. Sure. Um, and I've lived that story a bit, I suppose. And the other thing was her relationship with this family. I was really interested in her relationship with her mothers and her sister, these fierce cheerleaders, and then this absent father who left when she was eight, and virtually she never really saw again in any meaningful way, and yet how he remained, that wound, that absence is still almost... It's as, as powerful for her as the presence of the mother and sister. That moved me. So those were really the two things that I thought, okay, I think I can hold on to those. And, and that was the beginning of how do we tell it. There's and then a story it, there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. In her own. That's right. And we wanted to be very contemporary. We wanted the cast to, because she was such a modern person. Um, she still, her views on many things. Are, they were it's shocking. Yeah, it is. You know, like... I didn't know anything, and now I mean after favorite audience after seeing this, I was just like, "Where have I been?" (laughs) Like I need, I'm so into. Yeah, I think picking up a lot of people have expressed interest in uh, once they see the show and leave the theater, they want to know everything about it. Yeah, it does that, and it's (laughs) it's sad in a way that that you know we're we all are well educated people, and yet we don't know about this poet. She's not being taught. Yeah. And so, you know, part of the goal, too, is to bring her to new audiences and to, to shine like, light on this amazing Like, here's someone I love work. and who I've been inside for how many, like, 15 years? Like, yeah, how many? Yeah. So many years. I hope you like her, too. Yeah. And I hope I'm gifting you. So I would yeah. thank you well, yeah, that's for right. gifting. That's, that's of course. Gift. But I think, you know, she deserves to, her, her words deserve to live on. And yeah. And for whatever was, reason, she's not being taught the way she was 50 years ago. Well, she was a superstar in her day. Yeah. Like, it's almost, it's a huge celebrity. Oh, her, her name to me is very iconic. I know her name. Right, yeah. I just believe. never went down that rabbit hole. Of course, hole. Yeah, no, so, of course. So, so yeah. many I think done. what Megan Mullally had sung a song that Jeff Blumenkrantz had. Right. Uh, so right. my question, again, is as a songwriter who's taking lyrics from something that already exists, how do you get out of your head from other versions of those poems that have already been written? I haven't. I, I've actually heard or do you a not? few of Jeff's, okay. um, but a long time ago, and they, they're, they're gorgeous, and I'm a huge fan of Jeff's. And I've heard these other versions, but never enough that they you know, sort of clouded the way I was going to set it, When I was in the audience and I heard the, what was it, uh, Dan, Take Your Medicine? Yes. I was like, where have I heard that before? Like, I know oh. this. I know this. Was it one of Jeff's? And I was like, yeah, it was the Megan Mullally, of course. Because oh, she wow. does that. She does okay. that. Of his version. And then I thought, like, oh, my God, that would be so... Because I'm very monkey see, monkey do. If someone does a... Uh, as a performer, you know, I'm like, oh, then I'm going to do it like that. I can't get that version out <laughs> of my head. So as a songwriter, I thought that was... Yeah. No, good. I think I had enough distance. Yeah, so I was good. able to approach... Good, you know, and their telling on that, I, it was cast so well. Everyone, the way, that, I mean, interpreting music and lyrics is one thing, but to interpret poetry as music and lyrics, right? They're extraordinary. I mean, come yeah. on, yeah. 
I mean, what a gift Very as lucky. a performer to get to do, but also, it's like another language. It might as well be choices. pentameter. It might as well. Yeah, we, we had a very happy, we were blessed because there's a young woman named Stephanie Prue who I met when I was doing the single with Molly Brown at the Denver Center Theater Company and she was getting her PhD in theater, I think at Denver University and they assigned her to me as like my script manager because with a, especially with a big musical you really need a script manager it's because the changes and all the departments and she was extraordinary. I mean she was just absolutely amazing and wonderful person and so when we were starting this project process in earnest I asked her if she would do that and she was like well you know yeah and I also have my PhD so I could be the dramaturg and I was like okay you know <laughs> well she's she's an ex- extraordinary. A, extraordinary dramaturg and she literally immersed herself in Malay's work and has the great ability to explain it in a way not just that the actors will understand but that is useful to them she mm-hmm. doesn't it's not academic she really understood and she, we would sit together. We spent. A, we had something called Poetry Corner. And we even had a sign over Poetry Corner. And we meet with the actors individually. In the case of the poem Renaissance, we would all meet and really go through word by word. And like, there is no dumb question. There's nothing like. And it would get very emotional. I mean, actors would get. They'd share things. It would trigger things. Questions, conversations would happen. So their ownership of the poems is profound, and their their understanding of the poems is really quite quite extensive. They they seem like a group. It's a very small cast, six, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. That seems like they have been through it all together. They seem very tight knit. They're in sync. Their bodies move the same. Um, they just work really well together. I was struck by that. We did something I've never done on a show before. We would leave them alone. I mean, I didn't want, like, no stage mans. We'd all leave the room to talk um, for 15, 20 minutes. And at the first day, we sort of curated a little bit, like, why don't you talk about these things? And after that, it was like they could talk about it. And then when we came in, we didn't unpack it. So we don't really know what happened in those conversations, <laughs> except weird. when we would knock on the door, and they're like, we're not ready, we're still talking. Mom they, and dad they, are so That's right. House. And so things happened in those conversations that are really on stage, and they really know each other, and they know each other's dreams and each other's frustrations. And yeah, we even said, you could talk about us. It's a, whatever you want to talk about, you can talk about. And it, it, it really shows up in this company. And they all have found uh, the way that we all, we as the, the creatives, but especially the cast have found their particular connection to this poem. I think everyone in the audience finds the specific thing that they need to hear and they want to hear and they want to work through in Renaissance especially. And I think the cast just were able, because we had a, a fantastic, um, luxurious workshop in the winter and then we had a great rehearsal period now. So we've had time to let words just sink in because they're so dense and so epic and the scope of what she's doing is unbelievable so we've all found our way into the poem that way have any of the cast members been in it longer than others through the workshop yeah of these six Katie Thompson has been with us the longest since the fall of 15 she played originally the sister Norma the role that Michaela oh, wow. Bennett plays. Oh, yes, gorgeous. She yes. did, and uh, then she, the next time she changed she as a mother. mother. Yeah. And then Hannah Corneau, Michaela Bennett, and Danny Kornfeld, the three sisters, all did the workshop with us in January, February this year. And then Donald Weber Jr., with whom I've worked a few times with the Motown the Musical and we're all yeah. side of Loop. Um, he's joining us this time, but we have a long uh, creative partnership. And then Jason Gutte actually auditioned for that role 
and blew us all the away. We, father. We, father. Yeah. we just didn't see him and Katie as a good pairing, and we were sort of heartbroken because his audition was, it was one of those auditions where everyone in the room, like, he knew it was great, and not just great, we knew we were supposed to work together, and then yeah. we had an actor who was playing the editor, and he booked a very high-paying gig, so he can't uh, pulled out, and we were like, well, let's use Jason. I mean, we'll just move over that role, and he's, he's fantastic. Yeah. It, it's we interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. But did you at uh, Marymount? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. He's, he's a special person. He's, he's the best, and Katie and I have been friends for a decade, and... Yeah. Oh, so okay. lucky. I mean, and their voices, like, they're each just in their own category of yep. vocalists. Yeah. They they're all so different, but they work so well together. Yeah, so m- different. Magical. I mean, I could not have wished for six better voices yeah. to sing this material. I have a question about the casting of Caroline, mm-hmm. especially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when, when I was like, hey, Carmel, so we're going to interview you guys, but we might not see the show beforehand, and we might see it after. She's like, mm, no, no, you want to see like, it. Like, talk about yeah, we'll yeah. actually, like, you know, you want to see it. I'm like, all right, good call. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was I thinking? Um, so what was I talking about? What's your face? Caroline. 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 Harris Cornfeld, who got his equity card doing this. Mm. Such a remarkable talent. He is unbelievable. He's jaw-dropping. His presence on stage is astounding. But I'm curious, um, because it's three men, three women, Mm -hmm. and so Caroline happens to be played by him, which is an older woman who's the benefactor to Edna St. Vincent Millay's dreams, and Allows her to go to bed. Her ticket out. Yeah. yeah. Well put. Yeah. Thank you. No idea yeah. how that came to me. Um, <laughs> Good breakdown. Yes, thank you. Um, but can you talk about that particular choice? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's uh, as ho- often happens in the theater. You make choices sometimes for very um, circumstantial reasons that end up having much deeper repercussions. So honestly, because we began, we did cast this before there was any story That's written. Sure. We knew that we wanted um, three male, three female voices. Um, and so we thought, well, we'll cast three men, three women. And we, we wanted six really interesting vocalists. This was now many years ago. And as we, the story began to emerge, it was, very inter- it, w- it was very clear to us that actually, like story-wise, we needed four women and two men. And I was like, well, we'll just have one of the men play women. And I've done that on other shows in, in World Side Loop, which I did. I, um, which I, I did. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love great episodes with Sherry Renee yes, Scott. Yeah. That's you, okay. But I did see Everyday Rapture. Oh, good. there you Everyone go. This was, the, this was the next piece that Sherry point, Scott point. And I did. Uh, but a lot of times the guys played women. And then I was in the original company of Pageant off Broadway many, many years ago. Uh-huh. So I, I have played a woman. So And, uh, and directed rather brilliantly by Bobby Longbottom and very although very different show than this same thing I was like don't comment on it all just just literally what do you want what's your obstacle how are you going to try and get it like that's all you need to worry about just yeah. act the scene right um, and so it, it comes that sort of feels normal to me um, and uh, but what's emerged is that Danny actually plays two characters right he plays mm-hmm. the character of Kathleen the sister who's the most threatened uh, by, by Vincent, really, in the show. Very jealous. Mm-hmm. It seems to have some desire to be an artist herself. And is obviously, Vincent casts a very long shadow. So there's a lot of resentment there. And then plays on the, uh, the, the, the polar opposite, which is the mm-hmm. person who's completely selfless. And it's like, my, my mission is to uh, um, facilitate you becoming everything. If I do that, 
that's my immortality. Your immortality is mine. And Kathleen doesn't believe that for a moment. So um, Danny sort of plays these two extreme um, poles in relationship to Vincent's talent and, and trajectory as an emerging artist, as an emerging outstanding artist. Um, uh, so it's, it's interesting. And whereas Michaela Bennett, who plays both Elaine Raleigh and, and Norma, both of them are actually the two people in Vincent's life who actually could really see Vince, who Vincent was and love her anyway. Like, understood the foibles, like, I get you, I get your ego structure, I understand the narcissism, and I can love you in, inside of that. Right. And in the end... And I don't even like poetry. That's right. And, and okay. I can still love that's you. Right. That's exactly right. I see you for you. Yeah. I accept you for you. Yeah. And, uh, and so, also, like, being a firm hold in who she is. She wasn't like, oh, yeah, I love poetry, you're right. She was like, no, I yeah, actually I still, don't. I still yeah, exactly. don't poetry. Yeah. She's yeah. like, it's what you do, it's not who you are. That's right. And... That's right, and a part of be there for that. Right, and part of Vincent so wants that to be true, but doesn't really have the strength to live that. You know, ultimately. Yeah. Sure. Um, Danny, is that his name? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm so glad you did that, because it it wasn't commented on, and it was so. I'm glad you didn't put him in a dress or an apron or a brooch or something. He was just so loosey goosey, and that it was just like. You know, Shoulder, his body, yeah, exposed. if you would just leave it, he was, everything about his performance in that especially was, yeah, um, yeah his body language performer. to differentiate those two women was, was fantastic. Mm -hmm. But he really has a scene that's so, you know, it's where she's explaining to Vincent that if a hundred years from now no one knows who she is, it's all right, because as long as Vincent's work is living on, she will live, and of course the audience is sitting here hearing Vincent's work. So I think yeah. the audience becomes aware <laughs> of that they're part of that and that that's like, for all of us, how we're going to live on, whether we're going to create work, you know, whether 100 years from now someone will be singing Gimme Gimme or whether yes. some young <laughs> or, 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 yes. or whether there'll be, you know, there'll be some young artist that, that and whether it'll be Danny Kornfeld will become the next great movie star and they'll be watching his brilliant performances, you know, whoever. And we're a part of that because we, you know, you never, you sure. never know the ways in which the actions you're taking and the love you're making are going to live. You know, what your legacy is actually going to be. I think of Wendy Wasserstein, right, with all her plays. And in many ways, I would argue that her greatest legacy is the program she has at TVF where New York City public school kids get to go to the theater yeah. six times a year, hundreds of them. I'm one of the mentors. I mean, it's an extraordinary legacy, and it's, it's profoundly affecting, and so I'm getting choked up, lives of kids in this city who, they're, they're starving for it. And not that their plays aren't great, but my God, you don't, we don't know what we're going to leave behind, right? Yeah, it's all subjective anyway. Yeah. You never know how, you know. And that's why it's our responsibility as writers, directors, composers, actors, whatever, to tell the stories. Because yeah. people aren't teaching her anymore the way that they were 50 years ago. So you are, and you're sending it out, and if we don't get a damn cast album to continue... Oh, amen. I think we're, we're working mm -hmm. on it. It's looking Donations accepted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can go to... Yeah. You, you can Contact, contact the transport group and give them some money. <laughs> oh, yes, can support. we talk about the transport group? Yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty nice. Oh, my God. Of course. Love them. Yeah. It's, so it's, where do we begin? Unbelievably supportive and... Jack Cummings was just single-minded in his vision of 
bringing art to the stage, yeah. and it's purely because he believes in good art. Nothing to do with trying to make money out of something, trying to get it to transfer somewhere, trying to have it, you know, all the bells and whistles. It's about his... Uh, Speaking of bells and whistles. Mm. Yes, Lower East Side, Grand Street, Friday night. Um, and he and the transport group have just been so incredibly careful and protective in their development of this and in the, the, its gestation period. And I felt, and I'm sure I can speak to you, completely taken care of the entire journey. And the space is amazing. This theater is yeah. really cool. Yeah. I'd never been down here before until we... I mean, I haven't, I haven't been here. It's so it's, special. It's it unlike is. anything else. It's in built for immigrants at the turn it's of the great. last century. It has this wonderful, rich. There's a magic in this theater. It's yeah. like a jewel box theater. It, it just really is. And so it's cozy, no, but it's yeah. you can create whatever world. It can be as yeah. big or small as you want it to yeah. be. Right. I don't want to spoil anything, <laughs> and I will not. But something happens. You will. See, you will see the space in the way which is intended to be seen. Um, and speaking of that, that moment, yes. um, what made you put the poem in the place that you did? Because well, I think that was pretty okay, Is that a spoiler yeah, alert? From this point on, spoiler alert. Skip ahead if you haven't seen it. Well, we can, tell, we can talk alert. about it. No, we can talk about it. Because I've had friends I've talked about it generally, and they come, and like I had no idea that it was going to be that. So I think, I think there is a way to talk about it. it I mean, it, look, when we did the workshop, it... Um, which we did at um, Ch Clinton Cameo you know, Studios mm -hmm. on 43rd Street, so right next to Second mm -hmm. Stage. You know, obviously, you, we just did it in a room, but we staged the whole show, including the poem Renaissance. And there was something about watching it I just thought, I want, at that moment in the play, I mean, first of all, we need to depict and theatricalize and convey a kind of austerity and deprivation. We want, you know... Poverty, much like racism or homophobia or, I suppose, misogyny. Misogyny is so everywhere, it's even harder in a way to theatricalize. But it's hard to theatricalize these things on stage because the moment someone on stage is like, Mama, I'm hungry, I haven't eaten in two days. It's like, oh, please, there's a fruit plate back in your green room. You know, you don't buy any of it. Because you, you know it's yes. an actor, right? Yeah. And, and it also can feel yeah. a little bit icky because there are really poor people in the world. So you want to try and convey the essence of deprivation and um, austerity. And we wanted a space that did that, I think, in a very elegant way. And I think Brett Benakis, the set designer, has done that. So there's a beauty to that deprivation and that austerity. But once we go to the poem, I said to Jack, I, I want us to enter her imagination. Mm -hmm. And I don't want the audience watching this poem. I want them inside the poem with the actors. Because... The poem is not easy to, it is weirdly the hardest poem in terms of the language, it's the most metaphysical poem in the piece, and it's the poem that she wrote at the youngest age. She never really wrote another poem like this, it's very odd, um, and it's not an easy poem to understand. Some of the other poems are quite simple to understand. And I said, I want the audience inside of it, so that even when they're not understanding, they can't disengage with it because... They're inside this poem. It's like I said, like Mary Poppins when they jump into the chalk. I want everyone to jump into the chalk painting together. Um, and, uh, you know, we talked about it. Uh, Jack understood, certainly, and he completely concurred. And then when we mentioned it to Brett, he, our set designer, and Brett's just, he was like, yeah, 
Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> and he had seen the workshop, so he had he had an idea. He said, "I see, I see something. I see a circle. I have an idea." And then he literally, you know, sent us some drawings. I was like, "Okay, that's exactly." We finessed it a little bit, but it was he, you know, he came in really very close to, to mm -hmm. you know, to, to a home run. It was pretty amazing, and so it's um, and we had really no idea how it would work, and it's worked right. well, so we're pleased. Worked the day well, we just were there. To, you know, <laughs> in any space, be it your your own apartment or doctor's office you're sitting somewhere for a long enough period of time and then something changes so drastically you can't not have a visceral reaction to that and then to have to be a part of it I mean the rest of the world's gone yeah I haven't thought that in a theater in a long time yeah. the, the hardest experience the becomes, hardest thing go on so sorry I was just gonna say it becomes a spiritual thing yeah, yeah. and you're, you're people often don't even know how to speak about it because they're, they're connected in a You're way vulnerable. that they didn't mm -hmm. yeah that they they didn't you shook see me out of a tree yeah. yeah and it's um you know it brings up so many questions and it also provides so many answers and it's, there's a lot to digest in not just hearing this magnificent poem but being surrounded by things yeah. I think <laughs> i'm not going to give it all away yes you know? yes one of the hardest things to do in the theater is surprise people. It's very hard, especially, you know, especially in New York and in our circles. We've yeah. all seen so many things. Um, and so it's, it's, and not that we did it for the sake of surprise, but we thought, oh, we want, we, we, we want to take people by surprise so they're vulnerable. It's like, okay, uh, you know, and uh, it's, been, it's been really Seems lovely. It's been working. Yeah, yeah, it's been really, really lovely. Way. I also love how you use so many levels. The, the stage is very sparse. You know, there aren't any prop, there's not a little prop basket. I mean, there's the table, chairs, and then your, your actors. Pretty much. And, uh, was there a book? Did you just say book? Was the book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a few little things, but hardly, yeah. hardly any. Hardly anything. And you use, it, it makes the space open up so gorgeously. You have Edna St. Vincent Millay up on things like reaching for the heavens. She, she looks so tall and the, and the lighting with the shadows on the walls. And they're magnificent. The mother is, I think maybe the only one who's grounded all the time. And then the other actors are down down the stairs, um, on their knees, on top of a bench. Um, it was very active. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, honestly, that, that's all a reason. I mean, the vocabulary all came from the workshop. The using the space, well, obviously in the workshop we were in a completely different space, but mm -hmm. it, it was great that we had the controlled variable of knowing what our physical vocabulary was, so mm -hmm. then we could say, okay, well now we have different levels, and why couldn't mm -hmm. they sit in that chair, and why couldn't they, you know, and that, that sort of... How, Hang out below the stage. That's exactly yeah. right, you know. Like, are they in this scene or not? Oh, they are. Oh my God, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I like to think, I think that way, and Jack lives there. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jack really is a director. Mm -hmm. He lives there. He just like everything it's you're looking rock at. Man. Embrace he's the like, space. Why, exactly. Yeah. Why can't we use that? It's there. They're yeah. there. Why couldn't they sit there? There's no, you know, he, it's. And uh, it all made sense, and it all never felt like a. Ooh, look, they're gonna go do something different. Okay, cool. It was. Yeah. Where else were they gonna go? Yeah, it allows the audience to connect. I think. Yeah. It's like removing that fourth wall. Very cool. And we got to use our imaginations in a way that, again, I haven't done in the theater in a long time, which is also great. Yeah. Spoon feed me all day. But to be put to work, actual work, for two and a half hours was nice. 
Hopefully it didn't feel like hard work. No, it was, <laughs> no, it was, it was no, actual brain work. poetry. You said spiritual before. It was that. It was... You're, you're walking into something that felt it felt like there was like acts to it. They mm-hmm. were kind of chunked up yeah. into specific. Well, that's always been at the back of my mind, one of my biggest fears. Um, not so much in just setting the individual poems, but then presenting a piece of, I think we have 22 musical numbers that are all poems, and we're using language that is not so common to the ear anymore, and it's... And there are turns of phrase, and there are descriptions, and it's not the vernacular that we speak in in 2018. So that's always been one of my concerns. How is the audience going to stick with us for two hours and 20 minutes? And, uh, you know, I think I'm really proud and, and thrilled that my collaborators and I have figured out how not to saturate or alienate the audience. Yeah. Well, the music sets the tone. The music yeah, tells tried. us where we, we should be yeah, and, thank you. and yeah. what to feel. It, it sets the current. Thank You're you. giving us a fresh set of tools, and then it's our job to put them together yeah. and create this thing together. Yeah. It, yeah. It's an extraordinary score. Yeah. I mean, it really It tells is. you what the thank temperature you. is like outside. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it really True. is that specific. Well, I also wanted to, I, I wanted the audience to not have to hang on to every single word. And I think even as I was setting that, it was like, there would be, you know, there'd be a line or two. I'm like, I'm not exactly sure what she means, but I, I think I know what the feeling's supposed yeah. to be. So I would just, I, I wanted my music to create a feeling so that we didn't have to rely on the lyrics, quote unquote, the way we normally do in a traditional musical. Smart, good Thanks, for you. <laughs> Thank you. Do you hear those bubbles, Stephen? Oh, I hear them. How sweet it is. From the makers of White Girl Rosé and Babe Rosé comes the hilariously delicious Pink Party Rosé with Bubbles. The misfits over at Swish Beverages, which includes Instagram comedian The Fat Jew, have made us all lose our shit over their newest rosé. Pink Party Rosé is sponsoring In the Room with Stephen and Dana because, well, if there's not a two-drink minimum, are you really in a room? With notes of honeydew and cantaloupe, this very pink blend of Sauvignon Blanc and Zinfandel is actually pretty good. It is what I'm drinking all summer. It is a sparkling rosé, gives you all of those bubbles, and is so refreshing for an outdoor summer treat. Is it what I'm drinking right now, Stephen? Why? I can tell by its pink hue that it is. This bottle does not have a face for podcasting. It has a face for Instagram. So buy it, drink it, pose your face off with it, lip sync for your life with it, and tag it at We Brought Wine. That was like Rosé Boppet. I don't think it's asking too much. It's a very reasonable price point. It is delicious. It's a very large bottle. I feel like it's bigger than most rosé bottles. Oh, interesting. It is a girthy bottom. Yeah, I said it. There's some quality literature on the label. They know their audience, and they are appealing to you every step of the way. Dana, when do you drink rosé? All the time. I think you're supposed to say all day. (laughs) Ask me again. Dana, when do you drink rosé? All day. Make every gathering a soiree with Pink Party Rosé. Cheers. Cheers. Pink Party. Pink Party. Pink Party! With bubbles. Avec Buble. It's a pink party, baby. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I drink rosé all day, bitch. Rosé all day. Rosé, then slay. Rosé, and then I slay. Hey! Bring me my rosé. Rosé all day. That's chicken frying in the background. Pink party! I wasn't gay until I had a sip of rosé and then everything changed. Drunken? Drank. Drunk? Oh, rosé. Oh, my fried chicken is ready. Hold on. You're never going to make it in this town with a voice like that. Might as well drink up, honey. Kevin, can I, can we jump into the section of the yeah. evening where yeah. we just ask about other things you've done? Oh, yes, yeah. please do. Because we got about like 20 minutes. See, Renee, since you're here until November, November 17th, 17th. And we can't extend because another show is coming All right, out, so, so you have until tickets. the 17th. This drops on what is today? Um, Tuesday, so, so right 30th. before Halloween, yeah, so if you want to be Renaissance. Yeah, oh. so today is the 30th. Um, so you have two weeks and a couple days. Great. To get your butt down to Grand come Street. Visit. Yes. Get a bagel. Get a pickle. Get a bagel. And My favorite dim sum place is the other way, so same yeah. train stuff. There you go. So much. Which one? What is it? Not uh, or, is it Oriental Garden? It is not. It's Boda Budai. Okay. I myself okay. am not a vegan, but this is a vegan dim sum spot. Oh, and uh, my vegan friends and I uh, go on bank holidays because they have real people jobs. So when they're off on a Monday, uh, we'll and go down. All your vegan Fantastic. friends like have real jobs. <laughs> the research has shown. According to my calculations. Um, Dick Scanlon, earlier you mentioned working with B. Arthur, which I, did. I, I did which work. isn't on your Wikipedia page. No, no. <laughs> B. Arthur played Mrs. Mears in the reading of uh, a two-week workshop, actually, Thoroughly Modern Millie, that, that starred Kristen Chenoweth as Thoroughly Modern as Millie, Coop Mark Kudish as Trevor, um, David Campbell. I don't know. David was an Australian. Australian. Yeah. As, as Jimmy, uh, Ken oh, Leon and Francis Jew, who did the show as Bun and Shang, and uh, I'm trying to remember, I think Yvette Kaysan played Muzzy. But we went, uh, Michael Mayer and Michael Rafter, the, mu the music director, and I went to, we were in Los Angeles, and we went to Bee's house and met with her and had a crazy afternoon with Bee um, and sang. Michael Rafter played, and she sang Over the Rainbow, and she'd sing like, Somewhere over the rainbow, I forget the fucking words of this song. We're singing about a fucking rainbow that I'm singing about. That's um, so <laughs> fantastic. But she did it, and she was. Um, it's interesting. There is, on, I think, on YouTube, there's an audio recording, and the scene and the song are not in the show anymore. It's a completely different song, and a different, completely different scene. And I had remembered her performance as being, you know, a, an overused word, but absolutely brilliant. And, and I don't go down YouTube rabbit holes, but someone told me it was there. I was like, oh my God, because this was in 98, wow. 99. And I, um, I listened to it not long ago, and her performance is startlingly good. It's very, she, it's a very different take than the brilliant Harriet Harris's, who of course did the show and won the Tony. Um, but B was a fantastic actress. She was a great actor. And I remember one time Michael Mayer, we were talking, and he was like, you could do like a take there. And she was like, excuse me. A voice. And he was like, you know, one of your slow burn B. Arthur. And she was like, no, no, no. Tell me what I want. Tell me why I want it. What's in my way. And I'll figure out I'm going to try and get it. Like, she, did, she, she, was, she was a real actress. And she was a wonderfully interesting musical performer. I mean, she had, you know, a, a, she was incredibly musical and really knew how to put over a number. So I, I adored her. 
we very much wanted her to do the show. And again, this was before Harriet, so this is nothing on Harriet. But B had Who's said she. Yeah, she yeah, is. And, uh, she's a genius. And uh, but B had said she'd spent you know however long two years taking the penultimate ballot in a black dress and then stepping in the background while Angela Lansbury took the final ballot in a white dress. And Angela Lansbury was, was a very close friend. She said it literally killed her every night. And she said, I know this. I, I'm not proud of this. I simply can't handle it. Mm -hmm. And what are you going to do? Have Mrs. Mears bow after Millie? It can't happen. And I just can't. I just can't. I did it, and it just doesn't work for me. So in the end, of course, it all worked out because we got Harriet, and we can't do better than that. I got drunk the other night, and I did a Harriet Harris impression. <laughs> oh Apparently, I have one. I'm not surprised. I don't know. It was something, you know, very, uh, very flat, very and, dry, yeah, very dry. Yeah. Yes. Her work on Desperate Housewives, I think, was a, there was a rough season there, but I think she got me through it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, and Carmel. I want to know what it's like to conduct from the bathroom of Radio City Music Hall. Oh my gosh. For the Tonys. For, for Idina Menzel. For the Tonys, for Idina Menzel. <laughs> on the Tonys. I mean, it was, for, it was weird on so many levels. I mean, the obvious being, why are we in a bathroom? Um, was somebody outside uh, being like, you can't go in here for three and a half minutes? No, because it was, well, it's, this is a secret, maybe it's not a secret, but... A lot of the music for the Tonys is pre-recorded. Is that a secret? Not like the vocals. So Not the vocals, no, but the, 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 the band or tracks. orchestra tracks. Um, so I, I wasn't conducting live musicians. I was just there so Adina could see me, so she could get the tempo shift. Sure. It was like maybe sure. a little security blanket. I'm sure she could you actually can hear the music and your thing. And, but yeah. tracks are always yeah. tough because you're always and there's, there's like there's a, no... a huge cut off, uh, like drum fill cut off at the end where we wanted it to be together. So I was essentially like conducting musicians that weren't there who'd already recorded, and I was just waving my arms around for Adina, which was great. I loved doing it, but just so odd that. You know, it's like, come well, on. You, the, it makes it's so much sense. Like, that happened to you. Yeah, well, but it happens yeah. for all of the conductors who That's walk in at the Tennessee the, Awards. And there's like so some fun. like woman changing the garbage. Yes, during. the janitor was like removing the trash bags. <laughs> at, like, <laughs> during, you can hear the clank, clank, clank. And then my friend was there filming. And at the end, you know, I did the cutoff and you know, took my headphones off and then we pulled back the, the curtain and the shower's right there. And You're hilarious. Yeah, and, and my like, little viral, potty, my potty dress. Yeah. yeah, it was great. You know, the so glamorous life. Here's the thing they don't tell you when you're going to show business. All the kitchens you'll walk through oh, and all the back doors. doors. No, it's really true. The horrible hallways I've waited in. You know, it's Welcome really to the friendly roaches, too. It, yeah, no, it really yeah. is. That's right. Yeah, the mice in the pits. Um, Sometimes on stage. There was a, a mouse or a rat right in front of my keyboard during American Idiot. Well, it's really glamorous. But, you know, I guess yeah, it kind of works. It works for that, for that show. Yeah. 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 I have another question for each of you. Mm -hmm. um, with every wonderful show is a wonderful cut song. What is your favorite song you've had to cut from something even though it was like killing your baby? Ooh. Well, it's fine. There is a song that we cut from Millie called um, You Can Count On Me. And Janine and I loved it. And Jimmy sang it to Millie after the first night they meet. And it's all sort of filled with like product placement. Like each Frigidaire, every Hoover comes with a carries a lifetime guarantee and you can count on me baby you can count on me 
And we did it in La Jolla, and we loved it, loved it, loved it. And the first audience we do it for, they finished, it was Jim Stanek and Sutton. And it was like... <laughs> oh, no. And so we kept restaging and whatnot, and no, it didn't work. So we cut it. And a few years later, I think it was Georgia Stitt was putting together an evening of cut songs from shows. My favorite night. At, at Ars Nova. Anytime. Oh. And uh, she, uh, and Randy Red, I remember, was going to sing it. I don't know if she knew about the song, or somehow they said to Janine and me, can, can we do You Can Count On Me? And I was like, oh my God, yes, this is great, because we love this song. <laughs> so excited. It was Randy Red, and I forget who sang it with him, because it's a duet. And I went. I went to see it. And they do it, and they're delightful, and they're wonderful, and they finish, and... No! Oh! I was hoping that was nuts. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, maybe. I think there's yeah. a reason we so cut it. So you made the right choice. Yeah, yeah. so I think so. Oh, my God. Um, so, the whole and I love that you love it. responses. No, no, the concert had some songs that really went It sounds like out. a disaster. I love it. It seems like you have, like, you have no desire to get this song out as a standalone, but... You are so ready to go see it anytime um, anyone wants to do absolutely. it. Waiting for it to work. Waiting for it because it's it's that thing of it should work. It's a really good song. Should we try it? It's that terrible thing in show business, yes. like the things that should work but don't. And you sit in the back, you think it should, and you know. And of course, if, if, when you're in previews in a show, you have like one night to live in the should, and then you have to think, yeah, but it doesn't. So you've got to fix it because it's not going to suddenly start working. But it is kind of like Janine's melody is adorable. I think my lyrics are rather pithy and good and. <laughs> It just doesn't, for whatever reason, no one's interested in between Sori and me, so we sing it to each other alone, and no one will ever hear it again. I, could you be more adorable? <laughs> could you? So. And is someone there at the end? Just. <laughs> I think Janine and I do. We just sort of look at each other and kind of slowly clap. Oh, what about you, Carmel Dean? Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of something. Well, this... Obviously, this, it's my first show as a composer, and I've just been thinking back to a year ago. I can't remember when the workshop or the reading was where we tried two songs that that we thought might work in Renaissance that didn't work, and they were so torturous to write that I, that like, I was this has not, to be worth it I, yeah I was like this is, there's gonna be a payoff it's gonna you kept saying I would call you like, well, I was I was pretty oh brutal my God. about it I was like Dick I just I'm not finding the music for I'd this like, keep Doesn't looking right. keep like, looking just cause it didn't come right away it doesn't mean you won't find it I'm like okay and then I'd sit at the keyboard and just keep trucking away and by the end I would cause I, I usually my process is to have a, a print out of the poem and I would write in um, just in a colored pen, like what my chord changes were, and I could just remember the melody. I didn't need to write it out, but I'd write out the chord symbols. So every time I would think I'd finished a version, I'd play it to Dick. He's like, "Nope, not right, not right." So I kept going back to it, and by the end, it literally was like all colors of the rainbow. Like <laughs> so many versions. I'm like, "Is this the green version that works, or the pink one, or the red one, or the orange one? I don't know." Um, and so we, there were two songs like that, and neither of them. We didn't need them. I think, from, from, night, honestly, it was more dramaturgical. I just think we just didn't need them. I right. actually, I love us not all. I actually really like the music. Yeah. Ultimately, but, you know. yeah. There's yeah. a standalone song that I wrote with David Davin, the composer, that I, that I actually am very proud of called Wildflowers. That and Bonnie it's a, Milligan has sung. That's right, Bonnie Milligan. Know very and, well. and, and then Lindsay Mendez of the demo. It's about the High Line. And uh, I, I'm very, very proud of that song. I like like that the song. High Line? Mm hmm. 
It was an evening at Joe's Pub to write a song about some aspect of New York, but it's an odd I song because it's from the point of view of the High Line. The, the narrator, the singer, is the, is the actual High Line itself, singing about the, the two guys that, that um, saved her. Um, and it's really about mentorship. It's about what it takes for people to believe in you and what it costs them, how hard it is. To believe in people is really hard because you have to, like Caroline B. Dow, you have to be, sometimes you have to hold on. And, and it was Robert Hammond and Joshua David, I think his name is, what they went through to save the High Line. Because they were just two guys at a community meeting who happened to be seated. They didn't know each other. And they were the only two people in the room. It was all about, let's knock it down. Let's knock it down. They were like, well, he was like, I don't think we should. And he was like, I don't either. We could turn it into a park. They had nothing to do with parks. Wow. They, then they were like, well, let's try and turn it into a park. Well, it took many years and lots of battles and enormous fortitude. And they've transformed an entire huge chunk of the city, um, heroically done it. And so that's what sort of the song's about. Yeah, it's a great song. That's amazing. On the way over here, Dana was joining a Wi-Fi network, and one of them was 14G. Oh, that's really funny. I was apartment 14G. <laughs> that's right. That's funny. That's funny. We, um, Janine and I never thought of, anyone ever sing that song to Kristen. It startled us with the song. You wrote Girl in 14G. Yeah, I wrote the yeah, lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. The lyrics. And, and Janine did the, the story, did the music. But we thought, oh, it's just a special song for her. And then the album came out. It was like, some girl wrote us. and Everybody said, was like. So we were sending Xeroxes. And then what happened was when Millie opened and then someone wanted to publish it, we made it a deal breaker that they had to also do a standalone version of Fortune G because we were so tired. Of, I was always going to the post office and I wasn't charging anybody, but it was like a pain in the neck. And the, and I, and the company was like, no, no, that'll never sell. And we were like, fine, then you can't publish Millie. And of course they wanted that. So they're like, all right, we'll do it. And actually the standalone sales have gone very well for them. So it's worked yeah, out for it's, all of us. It's the United States of Terra for a singer who can do everything, right. you know, it's it's Tony Collette, you know, right. it's it's right. Uh, such an awesome song to sing, if you can sing it, even if, if you, you can't, can. <laughs> even if you can't, it's, it's pretty Yeah, that one doesn't even get the safety of my apartment, like I need to be visiting mom in LA, like stuck in traffic, <laughs> in my yeah. car, alone, Man. if I'm gonna go down that road. Um, a great song. You also worked with Fit on Spelling Bee, right? Yes, I did. Because one of my, I think my, one of my favorite cut songs of theater that I know is uh, from Spelling Bee, Lisa yes. Howard's, um, what's it um, called? Oh my God. I wore a simple dress in blue. Uh, Rona's Lament. What is it called? I have a terrible memory. And Rona's Lament? Yeah, because her character was Rona. And she's and lamenting. She Rona's <laughs> Lament. Um, about right, her and, days in the and, and Lisa Howard recorded it on her solo album, right? Did she? I, I'm pretty sure. I hope I'm not misremembering, but yeah, let's look that up. There, It does exist somewhere. It'll be I know it's on, on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. I, like she sang it yeah, live somewhere. I want, I, she may have recorded it on her album. It's so beautiful so and great. tells her whole life story yeah. so well. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. And she can just sing whatever she wants in it. There was another song that, that gets pulled out a lot um, that's spelling bee related that was, it didn't last very long in the show at all, but why I love spelling. And it ended up being used a lot for press events and any like you know the Broadway and Bryant yeah. Park kind of thing because it was one of the few big group numbers that didn't give away the plot of who you know because uh -huh. that was the thing that's spelling me you didn't want to give away who was gonna uh -huh. be the last one standing sure. um, so why did that make the album? Did you ever record that one? Yes. 
Again, terrible memory, I'm not positive, but pretty sure. Yeah. It's on the YouTube, definitely. Hi-ho! Hi-ho! There are seven very well-known dwarves. Mm -hmm. Yes. If you were the eighth dwarf, what would your name be? <laughs> Fiery. Oh! Look at you! Mm. Clowny. <laughs> George Clowny. <laughs> You're an idiot. I love that. But enough about me, let's talk about you. What do you think of me? <laughs> what was your first impression of each of us? Oh. Yes. <laughs> I mean, for me, it goes back a long way. Carl and, I, Carl and I have known each other for a long time. A decade, maybe? A decade. Do you know what year did we actually meet? Probably 2008. Because yeah, that's when I moved here. here. Great. Gosh, we're old. Um, I just always loved you. I think you're so funny. You're so funny and so dry, and I just loved your sense of humor. I was love Still at first sight. It's basically do. what she's saying. Still do. And Steve and I, just, you're just so sassy and fabulous. Just fabulous. Well, I mean, you met me on a very fabulous night for a brief second. Right. Was it Sunday in the Park? It was. Yes. The Jake one? The yeah, yeah, the Jake one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. At the library. We were all at that, that opening. Oh my god, <laughs> that's crazy. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Um, for me, you, you, you benefited from comparison because Carmel sent me a text saying they're sitting on a bench. I don't know if you saw what happened. Oh, I went outside <laughs> and there was that bench in there. There was like a guy who's about 80 and a woman who's about... Probably seventy-seven. One of them has a big shopping bag, and they're sitting next to this bench. I'm like, I went up to them. They have I said, I'm, no, I said, are you Stephen Dana? Because no, no. I don't know you. And they were like, no. what? I said, are you Stephen Dana? Thinking oh, no. kind of caramel. What have you gotten me into? And they were like, no. And then you were coming from behind. They were like, Dick. I was like, okay. That's more like, I mean, that's a impression. We caught you like poke your head out of the theater. We was like, that's him. And then we tried to open the door and it was stuck. So we're like, yeah, I poke his head out again. And then I went out the other way and they were sitting. There was that old, and I thought, they don't seem like they have a podcast. It would be the first time. It was like, okay, I'll do it. But wow, it seems so unexpected. So I was very happy to see both of them. Yes, you did. You did. God bless Basically, your first impression were completely inaccurate. <laughs> I found the rapid fire, and they will be very fast, okay. and then you can say hello to your cast and Great. have a show. Great. Great. Yeah. What's your favorite show? Merrily We Roll Along. A chorus line. Last movie you saw in theaters? Um, Searching. Is that what it's called? About no. the kid who goes missing and then... Uh, yeah. Wait. Great. Sounds right. Yeah. Sound of music. Yeah. Yeah, so good. What was the last thing you ate? Um, um, a little vegan chocolate that was anise flavored and delicious. <laughs> a salad with barbecue chicken, corn, red onion, broccoli, sun dried tomatoes, a thousand island dressing. I want that one. <laughs> uh, what do you wish the last thing you ate was? A bagel, because we've been talking about a cinnamon sugar donut from the donut plant mm. on the street. Also but they were sold out, I did check. Mm. 
on the way here. I would have bought it if it were there. We'll go see if they're there. No, they're sold, once they're sold out for the day, oh, they're, they're sold out. Oh, they're sold out for the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you can give me your best four bars of gypsy. Oh, God. Now that you've had time uh, to think about it. <laughs> Some people get in Oh, God. Well, someone tell me, when is it my turn? Don't I get a dream for myself? Starting now, it's gonna be my turn. Gangway world, get off of my runway. Starting now, I bat a thousand. This time, boys, I'm taking the thousand. It's the first time anyone's ever done more than four. Yeah, made up for my fail. My gypsy fail. Oh, this one's so mean to ask these people. Lucusa or Lippa, you complete the fail. They're so different. I can't. I know, but they both did the wild party at the same time. Yes. So it's like a Pepsi Coke. I still can't. I'm not. Love them both. I do too. I'm going the PC and the honest answer. I am much closer with Andrew Lippa. We are friends. I like Andrew. I, do, I mean, I like Michael John just fine, but I, I literally barely know him. Andrew's a friend. Um, not a close, close friend, but we've known each other for many years. I, I kind of liked the raggediness of Lacusa's wild party. I actually, there was something about it. I saw both of them. You know, I'm also an agent for Broadway designers. I actually represented the sound designers for both those productions. Didn't know that. I did, oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I did. But, um, so I liked both productions, but there was something about Lacuses that was raggedy that I liked very much. Ragged Island is what Edna St. Vincent Millay bought with her husband. It's, it's kind of off the coast. Yes. It's Portland. It's yes. a little bit north. Really? They had their own island. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah, it's called Ragged Island. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Ragged Island. I'm calling your apartment Ragged Island. <laughs> Heels or flats? So flats for sure. Heels. <laughs> I appreciate the role of Miss Great Plains and Pageant. Heels, heels. I loved them. I loved wearing them. I loved it. I loved wearing a dress. I'm sure your legs look great. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> Who was your fourth grade teacher? Greg Stinton. Like the cheese? First Mr. name. Stinton. Is that a cheese? Name Isn't it? Cheese? Stilton. Is this Stilton. Nope, this is Mr. Stinton. Mrs. Hood. Oh dear. Grumpy. Said it um, all. How many years have you lived in New York? 17. 37 years and two months and 12 days. What? Do you have one of those memories? I do. I moved here on August 14th, 1981. No surprise. But you remember that. <laughs> well done. Sexy. It was also That's a big a day. I, I love that day. Sure. Who's your celebrity crush? Ooh. Um, Seal Award came to mind. <laughs> I don't know why. I haven't even seen her in like 10 years. Just Such a specific answer. Yeah. So gorgeous. I don't really get them, but there were two. I'll tell you, there's. I had a small celebrity crush on Adam Sandler, and one day I was at Mariella Pizza. I'm not making this up. On 57th Street, it's now a Starbucks, and on 8th Avenue between 56 and 57, and there was one other person in the thing, and it was Adam Sandler, and my partner was sitting with his back to him, so I was facing him, <laughs> and I'm eating, and Adam Sandler says to me, "Good pizza, huh?" I said, "Yes, it is." My partner doesn't look, and he said. Um, do you live near here? And I said, I, I do. He said, you're very lucky to live near such good pizza. And my partner turns around and is like, oh my God, that's <laughs> It was so random. Um, but I will tell you who I actually had to like, it wasn't a, a, a fan, like a, but I was sort of kind of a little bit obsessed with Barry Gordy because I'm obsessed with Motown. So then I got to work with him. Mm-hmm. 
And that was thrilling, because I really was kind of like, I think he changed the world. And then when I got to work with him, and I realized that he really did change the world, and it wasn't accidental. He's everything I hoped he would be. So that was lovely. They say don't work with your heroes, and he disproved that. Unless your hero is Barry Gordy That's or right. Bernadette Peters. Or Adam Sandler. Or Adam Sandler. Yeah. Um, Chatty at a pizza shop. It was yeah. weird. No entourage. It was weird. I'm reworking these two questions. Great. Workshopping them. Approved. An adjective to describe somebody you would love to work with. Fun. Honest. An adjective to describe someone you do not ever want to work with. Ego-driven. Mm, uh, pathologically narcissistic. Um, oh, got it. Betty Davis or Joan Crawford? Joan Crawford. Neither are my cup of tea, mm-hmm. but if I had to, I'd take Joan Crawford. What do you order at Hooters? <laughs> um, do they have the Bloomin' Onion at Hooters? A bloomin' onion. Outback Steakhouse. Oh, okay. I've been to Hooters once in my life. I don't remember Most what people I Most people haven't, which is why it's a fun question. Yeah. I order buffalo chicken wings, and then I bring them home for my my ward, my son, who lives with me, who's 23, and loves buffalo chicken wings. This means let, you go to Hooters? Well, he does. Right? I've never been, but he goes. Oh, but if I, I were to go to Hooters, I'd order him buffalo okay. chicken wings, and I'd bring them home, oh, and I'd enjoy watching him eat them. Great. Perfect. Uh, what's your favorite cereal? Ooh, I wish Jack Cummings were here I for know. this. He loves sugar cereals. Um, Wheat Bix, which is my favorite Australian. <laughs> Weedy, Weedy Bix. Yeah. I'm just, I like cornflakes, Product 19, Lucky Charms, um, uh, Life. I love sugar pops. I love alphabets, and I love Fruit Loops. Any of them. And we go to the Kellogg's restaurant. We do. We've had Kellogg's We have Renaissance <laughs> meetings at, at the, the Kellogg's, Kellogg's no. restaurant. Yes. Never been. Oh, it's yes. great. It's a, it's a cheap, it's a really cheap date. <laughs> yeah, I like those. I've been on a date there recently. Yeah. yeah. Thank I you. Have, I hope he paid. Uh, he did. Uh, you're in a crisis. Who do you call? Dick Scanlon. Talking about him what? The number of times I've called him crying. Uh, it depends on the specific crisis, but first and foremost, I call my partner, Alan Efron. Would you prefer um, a boss or a parent to get their hands on your camera roll? Parent. I've never really had a boss. It's not really the nature of what I do, exactly. Um, But I'd be happy for either because, you know, whatever naughty things I do is not on a camera roll. (laughs) (laughs) That's the name of this podcast. (laughs) Um, uh, 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 uptown or downtown? Downtown. Downtown. Uh, but I love uptown too, but downtown. Red, white, or rosé? Red. I'm crazy about this. I made a decision to learn nothing about wine mm-hmm. when I was young because I have too much I need to learn. So I just say to waiters, bring me a glass of wine that can be any color and just don't tell me what it is. So I make no wine choices. The waiters choose Great. it for me. And I say I will never send it back. I promise I love you. That. Do, you, do you choose what, what? I'll say, what would you have? Bring me what you want right now, and I will drink it for you. And then That's I great. always enjoy it. That's great. <laughs> um, my last question What did you see from where you stood? <gasps> I saw a heart exploding. I saw an opportunity to create art 
the way when I was young, I dreamed one could if I were brave enough. And it's really nice now to see a show that came from that. Mm. We're gonna go weep. To we're gonna go weep in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. We're Thank not done so with much. you <laughs> at all. I, you should seriously just talk to Dixie Allen for hours about uh, if he'll have us anytime. Anytime, he's on the no now. We're not the old people. people. <laughs> We'll bring you the said they're sitting on the bench. And there was a man and a woman sitting on the bench. I was like, and then we got, wow. We got it. yes. It's like, okay, I, that was yeah. not what I, all right, I'm going to roll. Geriatric special. It was like, is the computer in the shop? I was very confused by it. Yeah, we don't want to get mugged. <laughs> Thank you both so much. Thank this you. This is gorgeous. Go see it. I love you. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. And it was amazing to meet you. Lovely to meet you both. Yeah, thanks, Lovely. guys. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Bye. In the Room with Stephen and Dana is produced by Stephen Farizee and Dana Craig. Special thanks to Joel Wagoner for tinkling the ivories on our theme song. Hit him up at joelwagoner.com. We apologize, and you're welcome. We'd also like to thank Jesse Wiener, W-I-E-N-E-R, for our jazzy original music sprinkled throughout each episode. You can find him at jessewiener.com. Last but certainly not least, we'd like to thank Kevin Thomas Garcia for taking all of our ridiculous photos. You can find him online at ktgnyc.com. We are all over the internet on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at In The Room Pod. Follow us, like us, share us, pimp us out. And don't forget to subscribe to In The Room Podcast. We everywhere, so subscribe. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.